The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, March 28th, the Ages 10 and Up edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm the editorial director of Slate Podcasts, and I'm the father of Eliza, who is eight, and Leo, who is four. I'm Rebecca Lavoy. I'm a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 17, Teddy, who is 16, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 18. And I'm Katherine Goldstein. I'm the creator and host of The Double Shift Podcast, a show about a new generation of working moms. And I am the mom to Asher, who is three and a half. Carvel Wallace will be back next week. Today on our show, we've got a question about playdate etiquette, and we've got another from a mom whose daughter has been accepted to a fancy private school and who finds herself experiencing strange and ambivalent feelings. As always, we will have triumphs and fails. We'll make recommendations. On Slate Plus, uh, I'm going to find out something about Catherine's findings from a controversial recent episode of The Double Shift. But we're going to start with triumphs and fails. Rebecca, you want to go first? Triumph or fail? I have... You know what? I'm going to let you decide what it is, okay? It's either a triumph or a fail. I have been completely trolled by my son, Henry, who apparently has been receiving college acceptances and rejections for the last few weeks and just not telling his what? parents about them. Incredible fail. What? Just a complete managerial I, fail. How, how could you have allowed this to happen? Well, I don't I didn't allow it to happen. I found out about one of them because well, we were just at, I mean we knew that like acceptances were coming in and, and you know letters were coming in because other parents were like posting stuff on social media and also there's this by the way, uh life hack situation on Reddit on a Reddit thread called um applying to college where there's this like master list of when if people who've applied and like when they got their letters they sort of post. I got into this school and I didn't get into this school and they sort of say what they're It's mostly I think for kids applying to college to communicate with each other about what it took to get into the schools I got into. But anyway, my friend uh, who also has a teenager in the application process sent me that. And I looked and I realized that like seven out of the nine schools that Henry had applied to, like had sent out their things a couple weeks ago. And uh, so I looked at my email and I did have an email from one of the school's um, financial aid offices because I had to send in like all this paperwork over all these weeks, just these repeated requests. And one of the schools had sent me an email saying, um, thank you for sending this in. Your stuff was all accepted and your child's decision, you know, financial aid decision has been posted. And I was like, "Okay, well, that means that he got in. But I didn't know anything about that. So I texted him and I was like, is she this offer you got from this school? And he was like, yeah. And then it all sort of fell apart. And I found out that he's just been like really thinking about it. He knows he has to have a meeting with, you know, me and his dad and talk about various schools and the finances around them and stuff. And he just wants to like some time to think about it on his own first, which is so my kid. It's like 100 percent what he's like. Except that I'm like, you do realize you are just sort of depriving me of knowing something that I just want to know, which is like something that like I think is normal to want to know. And he's like, yeah, I know. So it was a whole thing. Uh, now I know. Uh, I know. I know which I know. I know which schools he hasn't heard from yet. He has shared with me his little Google Sheet matrix of all the schools he's choosing from, and um, so I look at that this like impersonal Google Sheet. And he came over last night. He was at his dad's this week, but he came over last night and we were chatting and I was like you know I just want to tell you like 
congratulations, because you're definitely going to a college. I mean, I guess that's good. But like, is it okay for me to even say that? And he's like, of course it is. It's really nice. And I'm like, all right. Anyway, that's what that's my, I guess, fail for (laughs) for this week was being deprived of this essential knowledge. Congratulations to him. And uh, yeah, you must have done something horribly, horribly wrong (laughs) that you would find yourself deprived of that knowledge in that way. I can't pinpoint the exact place where the fail occurred, but it's like if you're the CEO of a company and they're like dumping toxic waste in the river, it happens on your watch. You know what I mean? (laughs) Okay, Gabe. This is the. the, I think that's a little far. Okay, I was totally on board with thinking this was a fail, but. Now that I hear the full context, it sounds like Henry is actually like a much very mature thinker, which is probably not super typical for, you know, uh, teenage boys in every way. And so I feel like the fact that he's processing it actually makes me put it a little more in the triumph co- triumph column, although it is just very funny that he had gotten seven seven acceptances and had or seven <laughs> seven uh, uh, responses. Seven responses. Yeah. Wait, one, two, three, four. Okay, I'm looking at the spreadsheet now. He's gotten six responses, five acceptances, one rejection so far. And by the way, that like seeing that on the spreadsheet, I told him this last night too. Like I channeled my inner Lori Lachlan last night when I saw the one rejection, and I was like, "How could they?" <laughs> Well, clearly, just clearly for a minute, you didn't bribe just for anyone, a minute, Rebecca. Because you can't help it, even though you know it's arbitrary. <laughs> clearly, I did not. Clearly, I did not. Otherwise, I wouldn't need a stupid spreadsheet to figure out if you know where he can go and how much it's going to cost. <laughs> All right. Was Rebecca completely not remaining in the loop about this crucial moment in her son's education a fail or alternately, perhaps, if you'd like to conceive of it that way, somehow a, a triumph? Weigh in on our Facebook page. Go to Facebook and search for Slate Parenting. I'm going to go next. I have a triumph. Uh, This one is another one of those long-running triumphs that, like, it's hard for me to pinpoint the exact moment, and I didn't even quite realize that I was doing it. But then the other day, I discovered that I had just been doing some fantastic parenting, and uh, (laughs) I'm now going to tell you about it. So... Leo really into Legos, right? And he especially because he's into like superheroes and superhero movies and shows. And so like he likes to have like a Lego set that has like Spider-Man and his spider motorcycle and his spider headquarters or whatever. And as you know, Lego sets now are all about like branded characters in scenes from imaginary movies and stuff like that. It's not the kind of creative free play that we're used to from our childhood. It's about assembling uh, minute replicas of uh, licensed pieces of corporate intellectual property. But so he's super into this stuff and when he got one you know he the the ones he wants which are the like the one with batman doing the whole complicated thing against mr freeze it's like it's not he's four and 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 the four-year-old stuff isn't sufficiently sophisticated in terms of content for him even if that might be the appropriate level of like lego construction for him so he winds up with these lego sets that like he'll ask for at the toy store his grandma gets them for christmas or whatever that are ages seven to nine or something like that and then he's like i want to put this together and so like we have to help him put it together or put it together with him and like that's fun but it also takes a lot of time but so I've done a few of these with him and I you can't it's it's one of those parenting things that you can't do in a half-assed way like you can't be looking at your phone while you're doing it or like you can't be having a conversation with another adult while you're doing it you're like 
going through the thing with him and like, okay, now we're on step 23 and see what's the difference between this one and this. Oh, there's a blue one missing here. If you turn it around, you can kind of see where that one goes. Okay, do you want to put that on? Or you put it on and I'll press it down a little. You got to do that for like an hour. And then in the end, you have this little Batman playset, which he then thinks of as a toy and like runs around like with the Batman airplane and it's not built to be like smashed into stuff. And so then it is broken into Lego pieces all over the floor. And then he's upset because his Batman plane broke. And then you have to reassemble all the little pieces and find the instruction. We're never going to put the thing together twice. So the whole thing has been kind of a rigmarole. But so yesterday I came upstairs and he was up a little bit before me and he had a new Lego set and he had taken, he, oh, he asked me to help him like open the bag. I was like, sure, I'll open the bag, but I don't have time to make this with you right now. So I opened the bag of pieces, the like plastic bag of pieces and they were out there on the table and he like took the book and then I went and like made coffee and like drank the coffee and like looked at Twitter and was futzing around. And then I look up and he's like halfway to a very intricate Spider-Man motorcycle. And I was like, what the hell? Did you do that by yourself? And he, he was like, well, yeah. He had just gone through the pages and like looked at each one. And, he had, you know, we'd done enough of them that now he knows the process and he can put them together. And he'd made a couple of mistakes. But the thing was basically a competent halfway assembly of a like 36-step Lego Spider-Man motorcycle. And, uh, I mean, I'm taking all the credit for that. Like, okay, he's very good at Lego, but he's very good at Lego because I painstakingly worked through the Lego Mm. construction process with him. And now it's like I have taught a man to fish. And now then you come and you see your four-year-old like catching millions of fish out of the river. And you're like, sweet, we're going to have fish for dinner. Or rather now we have a halfway built Lego Spider-Man motorcycle. Um, So that is both Leo's triumph, but also I submit to you my own. Taking credit. Remember the other day when I slacked you, Gabe, just asking for credit for something that you didn't know that I had done? (laughs) I I, I gave you credit for it. Sometimes credit, like sometimes credit feels like you, you should have it and you should tell people they should give it to you. I think your son is probably just good at Legos or has yes. learned how to do them. But yeah. you can completely take credit for that. I that can. is allowed. And it's <laughs> also a triumph that it's giving you this like time where of peace where he is happily building it without you having to do all of this focus. So I think this is a total, tri- total triumph. Yes. That's exactly right. It's a triumph that has real benefits as well as just the symbolic achievement of having a kid who's good at Lego, which would indeed be reward enough, obviously. Um, Thank you for your uh, validation there. Catherine, triumph or fail this week? I have a fail, and it actually very well ties into this toy building scenario that took a very, very different turn in my house. Mm. Um, So... Uh, for we decided to uh, we were gonna have Asher go through his toys and give away a bunch of his baby toys that he doesn't play with anymore because he's getting interested in more sophisticated things. So that went great. He agreed we were gonna give away two bags of toys to a baby who needed them, and then he would get some new toys. So for some reason, my husband and I decided that we were gonna like make this a learning opportunity that was more complicated than just taking him to Target and picking out a few new toys. So Mm -hmm. we took him to the Museum of Life and Science in Durham, which is I highly recommend if anyone is in the area and wants a kid's activity. So we took him there. We usually never let him go in the gift shop. We let him like look at all the toys and tell him, let him tell us which ones 
like uh, he wanted to prioritize to buy. Mm. So we were going to like do this whole lesson about priorities and like you can't have all the toys, but you can pick one or two. And, you know, we had this whole idea that we were going to like take pictures and like discuss it later and then go back and get them. I don't know why. Like we decided that this is going to be this awesomely complicated project. So we go. Also, we were like interested. Maybe he could get a toy other than a car because he's obsessed with cars. And we're like, we'll take him to this like fancy store with STEM toys so he can get something other than a car. So anyway, he zeroes in on, of course, a car, a saltwater car. So basically a remote control car that runs on saltwater. And he's just Mm. like, which sounds very cool. And he basically, so we go home. He can't stop talking about the saltwater car. I try to go get the saltwater car. Um, he's decided that's the toy he wants. The store is closed. It's just like every like every moment of the day is about like when can he get the saltwater car to the point where I pick him up from school and he hands me a note that his teacher wrote because he is not old enough to read or write that just says, Mommy, I want the saltwater car today. Like this is like he is like <laughs> burning for this saltwater wow. car. So I go to the store. I pick it out. And as I'm checking out, I notice it says for kids ages 10 and up. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. I wonder what that's all about. So we get the saltwater car home and realize that it is not just a saltwater car that run that, you know, is powered by saltwater and like you just put it together. It is like an extremely complex STEM toy that is for like a tween who wants to spend like five to ten hours making it. And it's literally mm-hmm. five thousand tiny, tiny pieces. Um, that's like really made to, to challenge, scientifically challenge the mind that we just bought for our three-year-old. So, of course, I am like, I have no idea what we're going to do with a saltwater car. I turn it over to my husband, who's a computer programmer. I was like, good luck assembling this. And then, then my son basically just like jumps up and down, like howling for an hour about when he can play with the saltwater car. The whole thing is a total fail. We can't assemble it. It takes too long. And then we end up just taking him to Target to buy him another plastic car. So I'm just going to say our um, ability, our like trying to not take the path of least resistance, which is our normal parenting way, was a total (laughs) fail. And we should have just gone to Target. Amen. There's a reason they call it the path of least resistance. And that reason is all the resistance on the other paths, right? That's what you're going to run into when you try not to take the path of least resistance. It's a pain in the ass. I know. And I was like, we thought we should teach him something or like learn about delayed gratification. Fuck all of that. We should have just taken him to Target. (laughs) (laughs) It's completely true. I mean, it sounds like a pretty cool car. Like, hopefully your husband can have some fun putting it together. Well, maybe know. we should just ship it to you, Gabe, and you and Le- and Leo, the, the assembly genius, can put it yeah. together. We will. And, and then we will drive it through saltwater down the coast to see you. Perfect. Now's the time we do the business. Uh, if you're not yet subscribed to our parenting newsletter, you should be getting it in your inbox every week to tell you all about new episodes of this show, new care and feeding columns, other great Slate parenting coverage. Go to slate.com slash parenting email and sign up today. If you have a question that you want us to answer, you can leave us a voicemail, 424-255-7833, or you can send us an email, momanddad at slate.com. We need your questions to make our show interesting. 
Also, if you're not yet a member of our Facebook group, it is all happening on our Facebook group. Lots of great conversation about the show, but also from other parents sharing their own triumphs and fails, making their own recommendations, asking for and indeed receiving advice from their peers. Go to Facebook, search for Slate Parenting. Uh, It is the only thing I like on Facebook. Time for us to take a question from a listener. This one came to us over email, momanddad at slate.com. It's being read for us by Slate's own Shasha Leonard. Uh, Let's hear it. My daughter is in eighth grade and was just accepted into a competitive and rigorous private high school. Hooray, right? I was truly blindsided by my mixed feelings about it. And sadly, that came out all over her. She received the email acceptance on Friday after months of work and studying and hoping. We're all ecstatic for her. Cake, balloons, hooray, right? Okay. Saturday morning, she comes to me and asks me to approve a new game for her phone because she's, quote, worked so hard to get into school and now she wants to celebrate with some downtime, end quote. Sounds perfectly reasonable when I write it down, but of course... I unloaded all this stuff on her about how she's wasting her time playing games on her phone and how she's on a different path now that she's going to this fancy school and she's going to have to step up her game and get motivated and figure out how to be the kind of kid who goes to private high school. I'm paraphrasing, but it was basically all that and she, understandably, stormed off and, obviously, I didn't feel great about my little pep talk. This got me wondering what was really going on here. Of course, she wastes a bunch of time on her phone playing games. She's 14. It's in her hands all the time, even though I've enabled screen time and reduced her only to a few games. This is an ongoing source of conflict between us because she's mentally checking out on all of the stuff she should be doing and thinking about in order to have the pleasure of playing relaxing games. We all need downtime, but she goes to school. She's in the school play, and then she's playing games. Very little social life, no sports, No other interests or hobbies. But I don't think that's all of it. I think my expectations shifted literally overnight because now we are going to be spending real money on her education and she'd better deserve it and stop messing around. So we finally get to the question. How do I set realistic expectations in my own head for what she should be doing? Her high school tuition payments mean that our family will have to forego other luxuries and that my husband will have to work harder and travel more. I really don't want to resent her for all that, but I worry that I will if I feel like she's not doing all the things I think she should be doing to take full advantage of this investment. She is my eldest, and I really don't know what to expect from a 14-year-old girl and how much she should self-direct and self-motivate. My parents were very hands-off. They were loving and had few expectations. They didn't concern themselves with my schooling or social life, and through hustle and hard work, I figured it out on my own. I motivated myself to get it done and made a pretty good life for myself. I told my daughter before we even looked at private school that I couldn't want it for her and that if she didn't want it, then that was okay with me. And I meant it. But now that she's got it, I'm struggling. How do I make peace with it all and set my expectations at an appropriate level? How do I help her find her passion and her motivation without making it about what I think she should want? Can I just relax and let all of that come in its own time? Thank you. I think this ties in a little bit with what we were talking about earlier with my fail uh, in that the fail, I think we're sort of jokingly saying is that like, 
uh, for some reason, like my not knowing or, you know, means I'm out of control or something of this situation, which it doesn't because that the bottom line is I am going to know because at some point I am going to be writing a check to one of these schools that my son has chosen, um, you know, whether or not we have the meeting or not about which one he should go to. Um, and that's, I think, kind of where you are right now is interesting. Um, I do think you have made this about you and your expectations. And I think that one of the compacts that you made with your kid when you said, if you want to go to private high school, you have to own it and get your stuff together and apply. She did that and she got in. And <laughs> sounds like she's doing great. And it sounds like she's doing great, even though she's not doing things exactly the way you think it should look like she's doing them. She's not playing the sports you think she should playing. She's spending X amount of time on her phone, which it sounds like you already have well in hand with limits you've already placed. I would let this go. I mean, she's going to be in this competitive high school environment. She will find out really quickly what she needs to do to be successful there. And there's nothing I think that you can say at this point when she hasn't even begun to go there yet that will put her in that mindset better than her actually being there and getting to experience it. Um, I'm going to go one step further, though. I actually kind of think you owe her an apology for the conversation you had. The the sort of celebration of her having uh, gotten this achievement, I think, was probably dampened a little bit by this conversation you had. And I'm not saying you should apologize because of just the apology part. I think it could help you both reset in the way you're having this conversation if you say to her, listen, that didn't go the way... I, in retrospect, realized I would have wanted it to go. I also have, you know, some excitement and anxiety about you going to the school, but that's on me. And of course, you know, when you are telling me that you want to have some downtime, we should, you know, come up with ways and agreements around that that we're both happy with. But mostly right now, we should just be celebrating your achievement. And we're really excited for you that you're going to be going to the school next year. Obviously, you worked hard and you deserve it. And then I would just try to reset that with her right there. I mean, you you took the time to write us this email, which means you've already been thinking about these feelings. Share them with your daughter. You know, don't just share them with us. Share them with her as well. Start there and see if you can reset this conversation. Yeah, that seems right to me. I, the thing I would add, and and um, thanks for this letter. It's uh, I love the detail, and it's fun to read or listen to. Um, I the thing that I would add is, you should keep in mind that you basically have the kid that you have. Like this is basically your kid, and the kid who you are now about to be paying a lot of money to send to an expensive private school and who your husband is going to be taking on more work and you're going to be foregoing various other luxuries uh, to send that kid to private school is going to be the same kid that you had in public school last year. And expecting the kid to respond to whatever adjustments you and your husband are making uh, by becoming a different kind of kid who's going to then participate in in school life and academic life and social life and sports maybe uh, because of the sacrifices that you are making in order to get a different kind of kid, that's not going to work. So if you're going to send her there, if you're going to write these tuition checks and, and you're going to make the sacrifices and you're going to send her there, you need to get really clear in your head that the kid that you're sending is your kid who at this point goes to school and then does the school play and then likes to play games on her phone. And like, that's your kid. It seems like the games on the phone thing 
is kind of a trigger for you that has come to encapsulate a whole bunch of additional stuff that goes beyond just playing a Subway Surfer or whatever game it is that she enjoys playing. Like, it seems like you want her to be doing a set of other things and the games are the thing that she does instead of doing the things that you think she should be doing. And that's probably going to make it really hard to talk about all of this stuff. Like, if it's worth having a conversation with her about her academic participation, if it's worth talking to her about doing other extracurriculars or sports or something like that, you, it's not going to be easier for you guys to have that conversation if it becomes about why are you always fucking around playing games on your phone. Um, if you want to restrict the time she's spending on her phone, you can do that as her mom. But again, I think a bunch of different issues are kind of getting sort of wrapped up here and maybe it will be helpful to you to try thinking about them separately. And, and frankly, I think like a kid who goes to school and then participates in the school play because she, I guess, is a theater kid but doesn't have a ton of friends and, and doesn't play sports because maybe she doesn't like sports, which is fine. Um, it, it feels like that's your kid. And that's the kid you're working with. I know you love this kid and that's the kid that you love. So maybe start from there and, and see where you can get. What do you think, Catherine? I think uh, all the advice has been great so far. I, I would also just sort of further emphasize that it really feels like this letter is really about the letter writer's own anxieties and fears of failure um, because she is just worried that her kid somehow is not going to measure up in this new environment. And I think like those those feelings, I think, are very understandable, but just premature because I think it's going to be a new environment. There's going to be new opportunities to join different things. Your daughter's going to make new friends. And um, I, I just think that, uh, you know, owning, as Rebecca says, like owning that this is about you and sort of trying to reset with your daughter is great advice. Um, one other thing that I th was mentioned in the letter that I wanted to touch on was this idea that your family is going to make some adjustments and sacrifices to send your kid to school, to, to, to the school. And I think it's okay for your kid to know that at this age. Um, I don't think you should make it a blame or a guilt thing, but I think framing it as, as that your family is rooting for her success and believes in her and are willing to make changes and work harder so she can have this opportunity. I, I think you could frame that in a way that doesn't put undue pressure, but helps her understand that this isn't just any old school or just changing schools, that this is a this is a big thing that your whole family is committing to supporting her at. And I think that that could also sort of help her understand, you know, some of your feelings about it. I think that's a good way of framing it, that, that giving her that information and that perspective can help her understand what's going on with her mom. And like that, that should be helpful in their relationship. She's 14 years old and she's old enough to have that kind of empathy and that kind of understanding of her mom. I don't think, and, and I, Catherine is not saying this, it's the letter writer who, who's hopeful that this will happen. I don't think that you're going to be able to get her to say, well, my parents are really making big sacrifices for me. Therefore, I will really buckle down and like put away the phone and get down to doing my homework and also maybe join the hockey team. Um, that, that seems more far-fetched to me. Yeah, I mean, I'll say, I'll say too. I, I do think having the money conversation transparently is fine and probably a good idea. And probably, you know, here's the thing though that that concerns me about that's you want you want to be a transparent, and what you don't want to do is tell your daughter that it's her fault that the family is going to be having less fun. This was a decision right. you already made. You mean you you committed, you made an agreement with your daughter that. 
uh, if she got into the school, you'd pay for it. And she's 14. And as far as she's concerned, like that was the deal. If I get in, I get to go. So I do think giving her that additional context of, you know, FYI, this does cost money, too. And a lot of my anxiety is wrapped around that. I want to make sure that not only do you have a great education, but I also want to make sure that, you know, if you you know, if you have if you're at this if you're at the school and you and you don't think it's going well or you want to talk about it, just know that we are also making an investment for you and we want to be your partner in this. Uh, you know, we, we have some skin in the game, so to speak. But what you don't want to do is have her think that, like, if she gets a B minus, you're not going to pay or if that right. she, um, you know, if, if one of the other siblings, you, you don't want to set up a situation where she's like, I'm disappointing everybody because we can't go to Disney World because I'm going to this school. I mean, you already made that decision. Right. And so when you have that conversation, I just would be careful not to stray into that territory. Totally. All right. Thanks a lot for writing in. Um, Let us know how it goes. I really enjoyed reading your letter. I hope you'll send us another one. Time now to take another question from a listener. Uh, This one, again, came to us by email, again being read for us by Shasha. Good morning, Mom and Dad. I have two boys, ages eight and six and a half. They're 17 months apart, so they primarily play together rather than having had a lot of play dates with other kids. I used to try coordinating playdates with friends and families, with two kids roughly the same age, but that doesn't always work out, especially as they get older and have separate friends. I would love your advice on navigating the world of playdates. When only one has a friend over or goes to someone else's house, the other one gets upset. I try to coordinate for both of them to have a playdate, but that doesn't always happen. When they all try to play together, one always ends up feeling left out. I have noticed that when playing with friends, they can really be mean to the other brother, bossy of their friends, and frankly, they don't listen well. It's like they try to show off and be cool for their friends, which is probably age-appropriate, but is incredibly frustrating. I have talked to them about not having playdates until they can learn to be respectful to us and to one another. But part of me feels like they need practice, and it takes time to figure out the social dynamics of playing with different kids. They're at the age when they shouldn't need to be monitored 24-7 during playdates. They should have some independence, in my opinion, and I don't want to tell them how to play together. We've tried to set some ground rules, but it doesn't seem to help yet. How much do I interfere and try to structure their play versus let them figure it out themselves? How have you guys handled similar situations? Thank you. Mom, who just wants everyone to get along. All right. I think the first thing is, like... This is what has happened from the two of them having mostly played with each other. That like these are two siblings who are the same gender and who are close in age. And so they have this really tight relationship where the other one is always around and they're family and you don't have to worry about alienating the other person in the same way. And you kind of your idiosyncrasies and weirdnesses kind of grow around one another and you become kind of like a little married couple. Uh, and then when they now are at an age where it's time for them to start socializing with, with other kids and kids who are at, you know, they're slightly different grade levels, um, they're maybe not used to it. And I think what you're seeing in their, in their playdate behavior, first of all, when they get upset that the other one has a playdate, it's because they feel abandoned. Like, this is my playmate. Why is he going to play with somebody else? And then when they uh, behave obnoxiously on a playdate, it's because they don't really know what they're doing. They are, like, figuring it out, how to have a friendship with somebody who's not, you know, sleeping in the other bunk bed or whatever it is. Uh, And I think you got to just let them figure that out. I think that I don't know that there's much you can do there. Do you think, Rebecca, Catherine, do you think there's anything that this mom can do? 
I, I think that she's that the most difficult part of this transition because I remember it well. I mean, we still have. I think I talked about this on the show a couple months ago. Like my son, my one of my sons was going to a party around the corner, and I wanted him to bring Teddy with him, and he was like, "I don't want to do that," and I was so angry. But then I realized, like, of course he doesn't want to bring his year and a half younger brother with him to his high school friend's party. Um, it's like it's my kids are the same age difference as this writer and her kids, two boys, 18 months apart. And I remember this really, really well, this idea of like there's an expectation, especially I think with for the younger kid that if the older kid has a friend over, they're going to be included or if the older kid plays on it, goes on a play date, they're going to be able to go also. And I'm guessing that's where a lot of this tension is coming from. And you are in this very distinctive period, especially with an eight year old, your kid, uh, your older son is going to start making friends that are not his brother's friends and he's going to want to have it be that way and that is fine he should make friends that are only his friends he should not be obligated to include his brother in his burgeoning social life just like when your younger son gets older he also shouldn't be required to include his older brother but we tend to lean a lot on the older sibling saying like be nice to your younger brother include them play a game that he'll be able to play too and you know why we're doing that? We're doing that because if we didn't do that, we have to then come up with something for the younger kid to do also. And that is twice as much work. And you are in that phase right now where I hate to break it to you. You're just going to have to suck it up sometimes and do twice as much work. You're going to have to work twice as hard and drive twice as far to get your other kid to a play date happening at the same time. Or you're going to have to drop off your older son at a play date and then take your younger son to do something special for just the two of you. And you'll be able to say like, hey, you didn't get to go on the played it but didn't we have fun at Chuck E. Cheese or whatever horrible thing your younger son is going to want to do that's kind of the phase you're in right now and I would say you're going to only be getting more of the separation of the friend groups between your two kids and it is a good time to start getting them used to the idea that they each have their own friends and that when they're not including the other one they're not being mean they're just trying to develop their own independent relationships so what I would add, um, I only have one kid, so I don't have any specific knowledge about the sibling dynamic, but I, th- I thought a little bit about the letter writer sign off, which was mom who just wants everyone to be happy yes. and, or everyone to get along. Um, and so, you know, what I took away from this letter is like you have a lot that's going right. You have kids who actually like to play together, which is awesome because not all siblings do. You have kids who are forming healthy relationships with their peers, which is awesome because not all kids are able to do that. And I just think it's okay for everyone to not get along and not be happy all the time. Like, I think, like, maybe taking some of that pressure off yourself to have every Mm. playdate go great and every or every playdate scheduled so both kids have something great to do and that everyone's happy all the time. Like, removing some of that external pressure that somehow that's your job as a mom to make everyone happy and feel good and that everyone's playing well together all the time like it it might just be okay for them to work it out and sometimes one kid's disappointed and sometimes a play date goes bad and and that's just okay Mm. yeah it's a good point really good point i agree with that and i want to strongly distance myself from rebecca's suggestion that you take the other kid to chuck e cheese (laughs) (laughs) What <laughs> was an example? There's just there's no justification for that kind of suggestion, and this podcast stands foursquare in opposition to any suggestion that you should take a child to Chuck E. Cheese, especially Wait, you, alone. You don't Jesus. like uh, child play restaurants that also serve beer? You don't think that's a good idea? I don't think animatronic <laughs> dogs performing Beatles songs with a big drum set that says the Beagle 
rules on the bass drum is an appropriate entertainment for either a young child or indeed me. Um, I don't know if they still do that. That's what I remember from Chuck E. Cheese when I was a kid. Anyway, I remember uh, being a rat playing an instrument. A giant isn't Chuck E. Cheese like a rat or a mouse? Chuck E. Cheese is a mouse. His name is Charles Entertainment Cheese. <laughs> The rat, is be- the rat is because you went to the off-brand Chuck E. Cheese that, <laughs> oh, no. where, where there, there were strikers and it was being run by scabs and there was the giant inflatable rat of the union <laughs> activists was outside okay. the Chuck E. Cheese. And I'm sure your children found that just as entertaining as Chuck E. Cheese. That's indeed okay. it is. <laughs> All right. Thanks for your letter. Time now for the part of the show where we suggest things to you that we uh, urge you to then go and check out on Like Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, Rebecca, what is there that you would like to suggest to our <laughs> listeners, unlike Chuck E. Cheese, which they should gen- then go and check out? <laughs> uh, I'm going to recommend a really fun app. Uh, it's a game app for little kids. Uh, it does cost like $2.99. And the reason I have it on my phone is that... Um, I am the person at my office who has the fun stuff at their desk for little kids to do when people have to bring their little kids. And I don't know how I or why I became this person. I think when I started working where I work, my kids were a lot younger. So I like always had crayons and stuff just in case there was a snow day or whatever and they had to come. And then I just, I guess I'm a pack rat and never cleaned out my desk. So I have this now accumulation of stuff at my desk. So uh, one of the things that I have to entertain kids who come into my office, because I now am that designated adult and they all come to me for entertainment whether I want them to or not, is I bought this really fun app that somebody recommended to me called Crazy Gears. Oh, I think I was the one who recommended that to you on a previous episode of this podcast. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I love it. It's been long enough ago that you can now recycle it. Let me me tell you why I'm recycling it. We're back to to wanting credit. 100% credit. credit. Okay, so it's it's a fun mechanical game. But the other benefit of it is that it's also really fun as an adult to play, even though it's easy. It's incredibly relaxing. And it's the kind of thing where if you're like me and you have to be doing something with your hands when you're, you know, in meetings or you're like, uh, you know, trying to just get through something where you have to pay attention, but you kind of needed like a, a motor activity to do with your hands. This game is sort of like a great adult fidget toy in addition to being super entertaining for kids that are like three to seven years old. So I'm sorry that it's recycled, but I'm really loving Crazy Gears. Uh, it was really worth the $2.99. It gets this ADHD adult through a lot of boring meetings to be able to do this thing with my fingers that is easy enough that I don't really have to pay attention. And then also, I have a super cool game on my phone that entertains the children of other people when they come in to visit our office. So maybe that's where I uh, picked it up, Gabe, initially, but I've been playing it a lot lately myself, so that's why I thought to recommend it today. Uh, That is a great uh, recommendation. Uh, Catherine, what about you? What are you going to recommend? So I have a bunch of friends who are having babies and becoming first-time moms. And so I wanted to share my go-to baby shower presents um, because I probably many listeners of this podcast get invited to baby showers. And so I think for weddings, you should not go off registry. But I firmly believe that for baby showers, you can go off registry because people who don't yet have a kid really do not know what they need. So here is what I like to give. (laughs) (laughs) So um, a lot of baby shower gifts are like cute things for the baby to wear or cute decorations. I'm against that. I'm for giving things that are actually going to benefit the mother. So (laughs) here's what I like to give. A Magic Merlin sleep suit, which is this puffy suit that you put your baby in after they're big enough to break out of the swaddle, but not 
you know, still like need help with sleeping and everything. And it looks like your baby is like the Michelin man and it works great for sleeping when they're like three to six months old. And it's super cute. And I've I've given it many times as a baby shower present already. And people are like, every time we put our little baby in the suit, we think of you and then they sleep well. And so like, what better gift is that? And I also like to give a copy of The Fifth Trimester, which is a book about becoming a working mom. So if you're ever stumped on baby shower gifts, Think not about cute baby things. Think about what would benefit the mother and get those two things. So is that Merlin suit thing? It sounds like the Thunder shirt, but for babies. Is that what oh, it is? What is Thunder shirt? <laughs> it's, a thing, it's a thing you put on your dog so that when there's thunder, they won't be so anxious. Oh. It's like that Temple Grandin idea that when people are, that when animals are smushed, they're more relaxed. So it's yeah, like a very it, tight it, t-shirt that you put on a dog. Yes, it is. Um, it it's sort of like it doesn't smush the baby, but I think it it's like you know pediatric nurse approved and whatever to just sort of calm their startle reflex. So they legit look like the Michelin Man. It is ridiculously <laughs> cute. And the reason I say it's for the mom it, or and or the parent is because anything that helps a baby sleep is extremely beneficial to parents. So it basically just makes them look like an adorable marshmallow and they sleep better. Uh, I like that by connecting it to Temple Grandin's theories of animal behavior, we now are endorsing a product that is like three steps. It's a baby product that's three steps removed from abattoir design. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, like there's a straight line from how, how you design slaughterhouses to making this great product to turn your baby into a cute oh, little God. marshmallow Michelin man. Um, all right, I'm going to recommend a magazine. Uh, it's one of those magazines for kids. It's called Kazoo, and it's extremely good. It, uh, I, I found out about it when it won a National Magazine Award last a couple weeks ago. The mat- it won the National Magazine Award for General Excellence, and, and it's a magazine for girls ages 5 to 12. Uh, wow. And I, I was so sort of blown away by that that I, I checked out a copy, and we got a subscription for Eliza, and it's just it's a really cool, thoughtful, well-designed magazine. I tend to think that a lot of these like magazines for kids, it's like the New Yorker for kids, are like one of those by adults supposedly for kids but actually the kind of thing that adults think kids are going to like and it turns out to be really boring for kids kinds of things but kazoo is really smart and well done and obviously like reflects very smart choices made by people who actually understand what is engaging to to girls of that age and um well worth checking out kazoomagazine.com very cool And that's it for our show. Slate Plus members, stick around. You're going to hear Catherine and me talk a little bit about some of what she's found out uh, in researching her podcast. If you have a question that you want us to address, you can call us 424-255-7833. You can join our Facebook group. Go to Facebook, search for Slate Parenting. Hop on there. Good stuff. Uh, Our show is produced by Jess Jupiter. For Catherine Goldstein and Rebecca Lavoie, I'm Gabriel Roth. We'll be back next week. That's the end of the show, but if you were a Slate Plus member, it would not be the end of the show because you would be hearing this. The people who run a brothel think about how they can be a workplace that is helpful to working moms um, because there's a lot of workplaces that don't do that. Okay, that's a little taste of our Slate Plus segment this week. If you want to hear that segment and another like it every week, go to slate.com slash momanddadplus right now. 